Okay, uh, do you think you've heard enough about the Holy Spirit? Would you like to go home now? Or would you like to? <laughs> There's never, you know, it's never ending. Um, in fact, I've just done a six-week course to camera on the Holy Spirit, and um, uh, even then we were rushing because there's so much more that we could have said. Um, and, and it's such an important part of our Christian lives and our church communities as well. So you won't be surprised, I've got a few more things that I'd like to unburden to you before we go home. It seems to me very obvious in Scripture um, that we are meant to daily depend upon the person of the Holy Spirit. So I would like to speak this morning about ongoing dependency, the way in which we are called to not just have experiences one-off here and there of the Holy Spirit, but on a daily basis to trust him for everything. You know, if you're born of the Spirit and you're a child of God, you understand very quickly it's only the beginning of your Christian life. It's the start, it's not the end. And if you have an experience of the Holy Spirit, it's never meant to be a one-off thing that you can just notch up. It's to open the door for you to have more. That's why we're saying all weekend, come on, be open to the Spirit, because that will just keep, it keeps pushing you forward into a new uh, kind of, it's an ocean of discovery of the Holy Spirit in a gradual kind of way. And it's your now experience today, the 20th of May, Pentecost Sunday, by the way, in case any of you had to... Yeah, yeah, yeah waking up here, yeah, it's Pentecost Sunday. I thought that's why we were talking to the Holy Spirit the whole weekend. You knew it all the time. Right? Our churches are notorious, are notorious for waking up and not realising the religious calendar that we're on, but it's Pentecost Sunday. Anyway, and, um, and, 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 and really it's our now experience today, today, of what the Holy Spirit is doing and not our past. There are many reasons why Christians struggle in their life. There's all sorts of reasons why they do. But I'm pretty convinced this is one of the main ones, when we try to live our lives without the helper, the Holy Spirit. So I've got friends who kind of wandered away. They really were on fire for Jesus, and they preached, and they, they were really evangelistic. And today, they're nowhere. I know numerous people like that. They don't go to church. They don't kind of hardly believe anymore. And you sometimes think, well, was it an event that made them go like that? So was it a tragedy? Was it an event? Was it a misunderstanding? Often it would be something like they would say, well, someone in church offended me. To which I always replied, you know what? If I was to leave the church every time someone offended me, I'd never be here. It was like, it's just life. That's what it's like being in, in the Christian community. We get easily offended by people. People are people. We're not perfect. We're imperfect. And so... Um, and so they come up with these reasons, but I fundamentally believe there was a moment in their lives with all the excuses they get as to why they're no longer walking with God, where if they're really honest, they would say, I stopped depending upon the Lord. I stopped walking with Jesus. That's really the reason. It's the life of God started to not operate, not because God didn't love them, because he does, but simply because they stopped depending upon him. So I'm convinced that this issue of ongoing dependency on the Holy Spirit is crucial for our lives. I'm just arguing for a few moments about the need for, uh, for dependency, and then we'll look at some of the outworkings of that. Starting with Jesus, like always remarkable that after his baptism, you'll read the Gospels and you'll see this little theme that he is constantly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's rather strange, isn't it, to think of Jesus needing the Holy Spirit. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He depended upon the Holy Spirit. Remember yesterday we saw the Spirit came and remained. Those things we were looking at yesterday, he fellowshiped with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Here's some wonderful scriptures just to back this up. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's wonderful. Not Jesus, who was baptized with the Spirit on the day of his water baptism. But here we are, another journey. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You wouldn't go into wilderness of your own accord. He was fellowshipping Spirit. The Holy Spirit obviously said to him, okay, now we're going into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That means he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Luke 4, 18. This is obviously the scripture that Jesus quoted at the beginning of his ministry. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. In other words, I'm not going to start this ministry without the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to preach good news to the poor and healing the brokenhearted on my own. I'm going to daily depend upon the Spirit. Honestly, if Jesus needed all of this, how are you doing? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is a scripture that he was reading on a Saturday morning in some synagogue somewhere. Normal Saturday morning synagogue. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It was an amazing moment. I am the fulfillment of the scripture I've just read to you. I don't think any of us would be so bold. But Jesus knew he was the son of God. Never, you know, some people say, well, he didn't know who he was. The gospels record he absolutely knew who he was, where he was from and where he was going. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he read this. And the amazing thing is, from the day that he put the scroll down to the guy and then started his ministry, all those things that he's just read out happened. He did heal the brokenhearted all the time and set the captives free and preach good news to the poor, the, the wonderful news of salvation. And so we find in the example of Jesus that he goes from strength to strength, filled with the Spirit. There's often another little phrase, we haven't got time to look at them all, that refers to Jesus. And it says, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, and this is the other verse, and I'd love to have been there. It says, and Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I wonder what that was like. Just the thought of Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. What would that have been like? Not only Jesus, we then come to the early church, the first disciples, the first Christians. And both through their experience of the Holy Spirit, they encouraged one another to be filled with the Spirit. And also with the teaching that they gave to the early church, they taught constantly the need to depend upon the Holy Spirit all the time. Let's look. Let's start with experience, and we'll talk a bit about teaching. So Acts chapter 4, verse 31. These were the people who had already been baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So it's obvious that the early church were not going to depend upon their experience on, on the 20th of May, the day of Pentecost. I don't think it really was the 20th of May, by the way. But they didn't, they didn't, it's not what the thing they were depending on. Here they are, gathered together, and they're being filled with the Spirit 
all over again. It was part of their expectation that God would do this. So this is their experience. Acts 7 verse 55. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's important to notice that he is now today full of the Holy Spirit, not just yesterday. Acts 13.2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called. It doesn't go into great details, but while they were worshipping and praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit obviously came to them and spoke to them. They were dependent upon the Spirit. Acts 15.28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. This is a company of people, a council, who were wondering what to do. And in the end, it was the Holy Spirit that spoke to them. It was the Holy Spirit they were dependent upon so they could come out of that meeting saying, it seemed to be good to us and to the Holy Spirit. They would never have known that if they weren't experiencing the daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, verse 6. Please bear with me. I, I, I just love the Bible, so I just keep <laughs> quoting scriptures. Is that allowed? Yes, I think it is. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? I'm just trying to show you how dependent they were on a daily basis. They didn't have some strategy and that's it. They were blown about by the Spirit. He blew them here, he blew them there. I want to see the early church's guidance is strange because they had a plan, go to all the market towns on the Roman roads and go to the but but they were open to the Spirit changing everything. So that having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It's a picture of constant hearing the voice of the Spirit, which we're going to look at in a moment. And and, and knowing that he's speaking to them. So passing by Mycenae, like, bye, you missed your opportunity. They went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, dependent on the Holy Spirit. A man in Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia, help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, this sense of hearing from God, dependency from God. I love this in Romans chapter 1. Paul had been trying to get to Rome for ages. And in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, we don't know what the spiritual gift was. But obviously, Paul was thinking, when I get to Rome, we're going to have a time of being filled with the Spirit. Because then I'm God's going to use me to give gifts of the Spirit to you to strengthen you in all that you're doing. He makes another statement similarly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And even in a simple, nothing like this, but a type of way this weekend has personified with that. Hopefully we're not just talking lots of words. But behind it is our desire that we might actually experience the Holy Spirit. And so Paul was confident as he travelled around. He's going to preach sermons, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, which is going to convince people of the truth because he's dependent upon it. And this verse, which we've quoted a couple of times here already, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
Here we are years, decades later, and the early church are still dependent upon the Spirit through the laying on of hands and exhorting one another to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a constant experience of daily depending upon the Holy Spirit. They not only experience dependency upon the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, they also taught the church to do this. Now this is important because we could just end there and just say, well, they had a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit. But they were constantly teaching into this. And at Freedom Church, we need to be constantly teaching this. New people will join us. New people will become Christians. They need to be constantly hearing about the need to depend upon the Holy Spirit and why that's so important. You can see that I'm going really fast in my speaking, but it's because I want to cover this ground. The whole of Romans. So I'm not going to quote it. I'm just going to tell you the whole (laughs) book of Romans essentially is this. They taught. Paul teaches Romans because he's so passionate that the people understand that once you've been justified, you then go on to be sanctified, which is a long word for saying to become more like Jesus. Now, the issue is, how do you become more like Jesus once you've been justified by faith? And the only answer through Romans, again and again, you'll see it, by my spirit, by my spirit, by my spirit. And, we, and, and, and sanctification, which means to live like Jesus did, which means to be holy, which means to become like Jesus. Let me quote this to you, Romans 8 um, and 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be uh, conformed to the image of his son. And the verse before says, those he justified, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's God's intention for you and me to be conformed, to become like Jesus, the Son of God. And it can only happen by the Spirit. Galatians 3, here's another little teaching. We've moved on from Romans now. You foolish Liverpudlians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? In other words, you can go your own way now. You began in the Spirit. You need to depend upon the Spirit because it's only by the Spirit that we can be changed to be holy and to be more like Jesus. All of these things are important. Ephesians chapter 5. Be careful how you live. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Dressing to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Obviously, their worship, their community, singing, making melody in their hearts to the Lord. It was all a result of being filled and being filled and being more filled with the Holy Spirit upon whom they were completely dependent. I come from a background, and maybe some of you, where this kind of stuff wasn't taught to me as an early believer. So actually, when you don't teach that sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is a work of the Spirit, then you're taught something else. I was taught you become more like Jesus through the things you do, by the works, by the do's and don'ts in our church community, fundamentally by self-effort, trying really hard and surrendering. (laughs) Used to have, after every youth camp, we surrendered. Every youth camp, we fleed youthful lusts once again. Only on Monday to go back into the youthful lusts that we were all enjoying. So that's one of the most misquoted verses. It says, it says, flee youthful lusts. So all us older think people think that's all about the young people, you know, the ones with all the problems. Ha ha. And then it says, and pursue righteousness. So if you don't pursue righteousness, of course, you can flee as much as you like, but you never come into holiness. 
So how do you how do you pursue righteousness? Be filled with the Spirit. And so I wasn't taught this. So my early Christian life was stoicism and legalism and trying the hardest and repenting again and again and going to the front again and again. And another youth camp was coming. I mean, I had to get myself in order before I got there in case anyone found out my sins. And it's just like it goes on and on and on. And then you kind of realize the Bible doesn't teach that. This is what it teaches. Galatians chapter 5. Let's just look at this together, okay? Stay with me. This is important. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Wow. That's amazing. It's a bit risky, isn't it? You know, we'd love to tell people who've just become Christians, don't do that, don't go there, don't there, behave this way. No, 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 no. Actually, Paul says, if you don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, don't have a load of rules and regulations, you walk in the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, hallelujah, are against the flesh. Just get filled with them. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies. And as you're ticking off the box thinking, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, it says, and things like these. <laughs> I think scripture is absolutely hilarious. We're just all thinking, no, 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 no recent orgies, no. <laughs> and things like these. I think, oh no, I thought I ticked off the box and I got there and suddenly I'm being caught out. I... <laughs> And not so recent. Now, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, this is good news for all of us, have crucified the flesh. Don't live there. You don't have to have its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All through that text and beyond it, here's the exhortation. Here's the teaching of the early church. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit on a daily basis. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Put your hand up if you would like to change. Put your hand up if you think the person next to you needs to change. Sometimes when you make that statement, who would like to change? There's a few people kind of sitting there, not putting their hands up, and they say, what about the person next to you? (laughs) We all need to change. We know that. What does this look like? I think it looks like this. On a daily basis, literally, maybe from when you wake up, you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? And not just the beginning of the day. I, I mean, this is very subjective. You have to find your own way. But I'm in constant conversation with the Holy Spirit. When I go on long car journeys and sit on the train, I'm trying to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. I yield to you. I don't know what, how I'm going to get through this. Would I? And all the time, what I'm doing is I am, I am walking away from independence and I'm making myself dependent upon the Holy Spirit because I know I can't do it and he can. So my need for him is constant. I'm expecting by faith 
give, I give this day to you, Holy Spirit. As I go through the day, all the things that are happening, I'm consciously yielding to the Spirit of God. I even walk into meetings and I'm listening with one ear to everything that's going on and I'm listening with the other ear. Holy Spirit, are you, you want to use me? Is there anything you want to say through me for my <coughs> brothers and sisters? Because I want to see them built up. So that's the backdrop to all of this. I hope you've been convinced through the life of Jesus in the early church, of which we are still the same, that there's an experience of the Spirit which causes us to depend upon him all the time. But also there's doctrine, there's teaching that keeps on speaking to us about our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're a word-spirit church. You don't have one without the other. Those two things are equal and they go together and they're friends. So very quickly, because time's going... Let's look at some of the outworkings of a spirit-dependent life. And the first is an obvious one, but it's important. It's the fruit of the spirit. We just read about it in Galatians chapter 5. The evidence of a spirit-filled life is character change. Let me say that again. The evidence of a spirit-filled life, not just a once-off baptism spirit, but a constant filled life, is character change. That's the thing that's important. It's not gifts. They're important, and I pray we all operate in them. It's not power, but we spent a lot of time talking about how important it is that we get empowered. Neither of which are the testimony of a spirit-filled life. But one thing that is certain is that we change, and there's fruit. Jesus said, if you want to know the real deal and who is authentic, he said, by their fruit, you will know them. And that was said, by the way, into an early church where there are all sorts of expressions of the church or Christianity that were not of the truth. There were false apostles, false prophets. There were churches springing up who didn't believe the gospel anymore and changed their views and went back into legalism. And right in the midst of all of that, the words of Jesus must have been ringing out, by their fruit not by their brilliant authority and their signs and wonders. We can make those things up by their fruit, the way that they live. That's our authenticity. So the result of, a, of, of being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit looks something like the fact that you really do love people because at the top of the list in the fruits of the Spirit is love. And you can't manufacture loving people uh, on your own strength. 11 times in the Bible, in the New Testament alone, the exhortation, love one another, comes. And that's to a church that were pretty loving. That's a bit sobering. Love one another, love one another. It's not automatic, so there's this encouragement to really know this. I mean, we know the scripture, but I'll quickly read it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak with, in the tongues of men and angels, do not have love. I'm a noisy gong, a clanging sing cymbal. If, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, wow, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but do not have love, I've gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast, em does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So love is constantly the underlying uh, attribute of everything else that we experience. I'm glad I'm quoting these verses at the end of this weekend rather than the beginning because you've had a whole 24, 48 hours to wonder whether some of us are loving and not being resentful or irritable. That's right. I mean, always weekends, you're just always irritable by all the people around you. Come on, you're looking at me very holy as if I'm the only person that has that problem. It's just like you're in a Christian community. People just kind of irritate you. But here we have this wonderful exhortation concerning the love of God. And love, of course, is action. And so love flows out from a spiritual life. Love is not about Sunday mornings. Love is about the way that we live. And all these words, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, goodness, all of these things are the outworking of a spiritual life. And they don't happen a lot in meetings. They don't. The, our meetings are too short. So they don't happen a lot in meetings. There's lots of other things going on. So well, where's the fruit of the Spirit manifest? To some extent in meetings, but really manifest in life. All the other weeks, all the other hours of the week that you're not in church. That is really where the fruit of the Spirit is manifest. This is for life, not just for meetings. And so in the Acts of the, uh, Acts of the Apostles, it results in a remarkable practical demonstration of what it means to love one another. And it says of the early church, and I've never found a church all over the world that, that anyone's ever said this, all, there was no needy people amongst them. I mean, what a statement. That's how far the love of God went. The fruit of the Spirit, the dependency on the Spirit went in terms of really responding to what it means to be a Spirit-filled person. And I just want to add this in very quickly. It's not just that the fruit of the Spirit is in the way we live in community. It's also how we minister in the Spirit to one another. Surely the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is operating and manifesting the way we pray for one another, the way we care for one another, the way we're sensitive to one another. I have this inbuilt, my <laughs> wife will tell you, I have this inbuilt aversion to people who minister in the Spirit, but it doesn't look much like Jesus. And bullying people and pushing people around and, come on! You know, it's like the worship leader that says, now let's sing it if we really mean it this time. And I, I just rebel. I think I meant it the first time. <laughs> you know, any, any kind of like, you know, come on. And, and sometimes you get into situations where people are ministering in the spirit, but it kind of looks impersonal and functional. Surely the fruit of the spirit is going to be there. You look around and you see ministry, you go on the internet, look for the fruit of the spirit. Look for what really looks like Jesus rather than some kind of ministry that's there. It's not only love, it's joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Not trivial, trivial, happy joy, but a genuine expression of joy, even in the tough times we go through. And then the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And you need peace when you're anxious. There's lots of anxious people in this room this morning. I'm one of them. My natural propensity is to be anxious about things. I spent a life asking to be filled with the Spirit, that anxiety will be replaced by peace. For most of us, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through the renewing of the mind and all sorts of things. We're all on a journey. If you're an anxious person, here's the good news for you. Filled with the Spirit, eventually your anxiety will be replaced by the peace of God that he gives to us. 
John 15, Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. He says, and he says, I want you to bear much fruit. Lots of love, lots of peace, lots of joy, lots of kindness. And then he says, how do you do this? He says, well, you do this by being pruned. It's like God comes along and he sees a little bit of love and then he prunes you. So that you'll have more love. A little bit of joy, then he'll take you into a situation where you're not naturally joyful. That's pruning. For most of us, it's just simple. He puts us in Freedom Church. That'll do it. <laughs> so, well, Lord, I, I really want to be pruned to produce my... Yeah, that's why I'm putting you in Freedom Church. So we'll test the love, joy, the patience by all these people that are around you. You ever sit in a small group and look around and think, everybody's really weird except me? <laughs> and what you don't know is they're all looking at you and they're thinking exactly the same. So one of the... The, the, the hallmarks of a spirit-filled life is the fruit of the spirit, by their fruit. Here's another one, hearing the voice of God. If we're daily filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll hear him speak. This is so exciting. That if you're walking with the spirit, you're going ha- to feel the nudge of the spirit. Go over to that person. Talk to that person. Walk across the road and talk to that person. Well, just a little whisper, something that I kind of may have made up. Well, you never know until you start obeying the voice of the Spirit, which comes with time. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I can only imagine the closer you get to the shepherd, the clearer his voice is. This comes through being filled with the Spirit. And again, it's very subjective. How do you know you've heard the voice of the Lord? Well, it's subjective, and it has to be subjective. Subjective. The proof of whether you've heard God's voice The objectivity is what you say actually comes to pass. Prophecy, words of knowledge, the promptings of the Holy Spirit all come out of intimacy. If you read it, I I don't know if any have read John 14 to 16 yet, but I'm hoping you will over the next week or so. It's constantly Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He'll bring revelation. He'll remind you of the things that you've forgotten. Uh, uh, he'll give you the words to say when you don't know what to say. It's like tuning in to hear the voice of God. So obviously we know, if we know our Bibles, that there is an audible voice, which is an external voice that God can speak. You hear literally the voice of God. Example in the Old Testament, Samuel. Little boy, and God audibly speaks to him. It takes Eli three goes to realize, oh, this is God speaking to him. So there's an obvious illustration that God can speak. God can speak to children. Did you know that? He can speak into the hearts of those who are open to him. When we get to the New Testament, there's another illustration. In the New Testament, we have a little guy called Ananias who's in Damascus waiting for Paul to come down and persecute him. And God speaks to him in an audible voice and says, go to my servant Paul. He even says, go down this street, turn left, turn right. And then there he is. And you can analyze this going, but Lord, surely not. This guy's come to kill us, and now you're telling me to go to him. You really need to know you've heard from God at moments like that. But he obviously did. He heard this audible voice, and off he went to do what God had called him to do. And the rest is history. Obeying the voice of God when you hear him speak is important. And I have to say to you, it happens all over the world today. You don't have to be around Christian circles to, for too long to understand that one of the ways that God reaches Muslims particularly 
is to speak to them audibly. I have so many stories. I'm just going to give you one. In the New Frontiers Church in Newcastle, they've had the joy of leading many Iranians to Christ. Iran is actually at the moment seeing a revival, uh, not only in the country, but outside of the country. Everywhere you go, Iranians are coming to Jesus. It's just remarkable. Something amazing is going to happen there in the next few years. And this is an Iranian lady who was in Tehran, and she went every day to the well, and she put down a bucket into the well, and she would draw up the, the, the water in the bucket and go back. It's all a bit laborious. She's not a Christian. She's Muslim. She's no Christians. Nothing, nothing about Christianity. And one day, she's putting the bucket in the water, and she hears this audible voice. One day, I will give you water, and you will never thirst again. She goes and tells her friends, I just heard this voice saying, one day I'll have water, and I'll never thirst. Do you know who would say that? No one knew. No one had ever heard of such a ridiculous phrase in their lives. No, what does that mean? You'll have water, you'll never thirst again. It's crazy. She then, as a, an asylum seeker, comes over to the UK and ends up in, in Newcastle. And in Newcastle, she has friends who are becoming Christians. She thinks it's a bit dodgy, a bit out there. But they've now got Alpha in Farsi, so she does an Alpha course in Farsi and finds out about Jesus, but just rejects it, can't receive it, doesn't really mean much to her. And she's in this church, she goes every Sunday and has translation, and three months into being in this uh, meeting, guy gets up and says, my text today is, Jesus said, I will give you water and you will never thirst again. And in a loud voice, she said, that's the voice. <laughs> Just imagine everybody, well, yes, he has a voice. What, what's that got to do with it? And she got born again at that moment as she realized that the voice she'd heard all those months before was Jesus. It just, it's just God's grace that he speaks with an audible voice. He clearly does. So why is it so rare, I hear you ask? I don't know in, in many years whether I've ever heard the audible voice of God. And I want you to understand there's a reason that in the New Covenant, it's not quite like that. Jack Deere wrote a, boy, a book called Surprised by the Voice of God. And he said this, and I found it so helpful. He said this, the reason we don't need to hear an audible voice, though God obviously does that from time to time, is because the Spirit of God lives within us. So therefore, now we have an internal audible voice that's speaking to us all the time. You know, sometimes it's God speaking to me. Yes, he's speaking to you all the time. The problem is you listening not is God saying something. And I just found this really liberating because I thought, okay, right. So the, the audible voice of God is now not external but internal. Maybe one day I will hear his audible voice, but that's not what I'm going for. I don't need that because my responsibility is to discern. Is this the Holy Spirit talking? And the more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the more I will discern, the more I get out of my comfort zones because I feel God's spoken to me and we're about to find out the timing of what I share, etc., are all being anointed by the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter and John have walked past this gate, this guy at the beautiful gate, for months and years. Why didn't they reach out to him months and years ago? Because they were learning to hear the audible voice of God. And there's one day, and they're walking by, he asks for money, and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but now. And if you read the text, it says they gra grabbed hold of him and raised him up. I think they knew something was going to happen. That would have been awful, wouldn't it? Raising him up and falling back down again. 
they were so clear that this is the moment. Why, I don't know. Why not the day before? Why not the day after? I can only assume because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, at that moment they heard, this is the moment, because God was going to use this to bring a mini revival at that particular moment right there. Sometimes you hear the voice of God and you chicken out. Have you ever done that? I've done it loads of times. I make up all the excuses. It's some cheese I ate before I came into the meeting. It's like some imagination, some, and a time and time again I've missed it. I did it at Ashburnham. You know, we have this conference every other year, which I'm trusting many of you will come to next year and come join us. This is fantastic. Weather is guaranteed to be amazing. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I preached the first opening word, and part of it was all about making a difference, and my text was, you make a difference when you're a follower of Jesus. And when I was preparing it, I felt God say to me, that make an appeal for water baptism. And it was the first meeting at Ashburnham. There's all these strangers there, and I just didn't do it. I talked about water baptism, talked about how important it was, and you need to do it. But I felt the Spirit said to me, publicly make an appeal, and I chickened out. And I really regretted it. And one of the reasons I regretted it is, I got this phone call three months later after Ashburnham, full of photographs and texts and emails that a church in Cumbria had listened to my preach on that Sunday morning. And, and they were so compelled by what I said about baptism. It resulted in two men who were both 75 and 80 and another lady who was 80, all as a result of my preach, getting baptized. And they sent pictures through of these dear people who could hardly get into the swimming pool. They're kind of helping them. And while they're doing this, I'm, I'm crying because I'm thinking, Lord, you're so gracious. I missed it, but these people didn't. They heard it all these months later, and they obeyed, and I didn't. And I learned lessons through that. Listen to the voice of spirit. Don't chicken out. What was I doing? I was thinking about how, how well I'd looked or how badly I'd looked if I'd made an appeal and not one person had come forward. <laughs> Hearing the voice of God, I think I did. And this was God's way of showing me graciously that it had actually happened and it was so wonderful. I want to finish with one final verse and then we're going to just pray and it will be all over. The start (laughs) is about to begin of living in spirit-filled life. So we looked at fruit, we've looked at hearing the voice of God. Let me just, just drive that home. How exciting it is to be on an adventure that God of the universe can speak to you and you can then speak out what he gives you. What a privilege. Liverpool is flooded with people who need to meet you. So you can bring the word of God to them, because you're hearing from him. So there's the fruit, there's the the hearing. The final thing is being ministers of the Spirit. Let me read this to you. This is a good place to, to end this weekend. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You and I, it says it here, are ministers of the new covenant. That doesn't mean just giving information to people. It means, what what is a minister of the new covenant? Well, that verse tells us. It's the spirit and it's life. If you're a Christian today and you're walking with Jesus and you're filled with the spirit, you have the capacity to literally bring life to people. 
and you will do that because of a work of the Holy Spirit. We're ministers of the Spirit. We're imparters of life. And if I can end with this, you can only give what you've got. If you've got lots of knowledge, you'll give lots of information. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be able to give impartation. And people just don't need more knowledge. They need to meet with the living God. It is amazing that I can actually be a minister of the new covenant. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm giving life. I, I potentially can lay hands on people. I can talk to people. And it's life, life, life. The life of Jesus. You're the branches. He's the vine. And as you're dwelling in him, his life comes through you and you become givers of life to others. So we can finish this whole weekend as we've talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit on this note, that out of all that flows into you, you can now begin to give it away to other people. The Spirit gives life. Being filled with the Spirit is about imparting what God's given you to others. It's so important to end it here. This has not been an internal exercise about looking in upon ourselves, but being filled with the Spirit makes an impact to those who don't yet know Jesus. It makes an impact to those who do know Jesus because we get to be in the body of Christ, people who can build up and encourage others and be ministers of life to one another. Let's pray together.